how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swenson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. And make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Alon Gale describes himself as a strange person. As the executive producer of The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, and Bachelor in Paradise, along with several live shows, he's also a social media provocateur and author. His antics have led him to be featured in the New York Times, U.S. Weekly, Huffington Post, People Magazine, and The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. He's already published two other books, Unspirational Text from Your Ex, Tender Nightmares, and the upcoming Your Shitty Family. In this interview, Gail talks about his new book, You're Not That Great, But Neither Is Anyone Else. He discusses the problem with self-help books, the importance of optimism through pessimism, the way people unintentionally lie to themselves, how people get into hurtful patterns, how life is about your approach to your world, and how to be in charge of your future. I've been in television for about uh, 10 years or so, and I have always felt kind of a deep sense of unhappiness that goes on long before all of that into childhood and never feeling good enough and never feeling satisfied. And and as uh, pop culture has evolved around me, I feel that the last few years have been a time where people have been encouraged and almost yelled at if they don't uh, love themselves at all moments. And it caused me to feel inferior and feel like I was doing something wrong. But then I realized that there's probably a lot of people out there like me who don't feel perfect, who feel like they're not a badass, and who feel like they want to do better. And so I started writing. Do you think it's a generational thing with the culture or just the entire culture altogether at this time period? I think it's definitely generational, and I think it's probably restricted to the kinds of people who read self-help books. I think that's a particular class of human. Uh, I think for the kind of majority of uh, human history, people have had things like uh, hunger to worry about, and I think that most of the world people still do. But I think for people uh, of, of privilege here in America, especially, uh, myself included, we have this kind of luxury to uh, talk about happiness or uh, fulfillment as an ultimate goal, this kind of emotional and spiritual next level. And so I, I think it's, it's restricted to a set of people, but it's a pretty large set here in America. 
after reading the book, I, I kind of felt like it was um, maybe like a hidden optimism under negativity or pessimism. How do you kind of define the book at, um, or like the theme of the book? I, I totally agree. Um, I think that most people that actually go through the book find that at the end it's very uplifting because the message really is that you are the master of your own domain. You are in, you are in charge of your future. You can make things happen. You may not get everything you want, which I think we all already know deep down inside. But if you stop pretending to be whatever you are, you might actually become something interesting. And I think that's much more optimistic than, you know, just living in whatever you're in and trying to convince yourself that you enjoy every moment. So in terms of like some of the specifics, I see there's one section where you're kind of talking about those Instagram posts, like believe in yourself or it is what it is. Do you kind of see that as people lying to themselves or how do you define like, the, you know, either the people who are posting or the people who are liking and that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I, I generally think there are people that are lying to themselves when they post those things. Uh, I, I don't think they're doing it intentionally. I think that they feel cocooned in warmth and positivity uh, by especially the social media world where, you know, you can surround yourselves with people that agree with you. You can surround yourself with people who think you are really great. And I think people really like that feeling. So I think it's addictive. I think that positivity is addictive. And I, I don't think that they never feel that way. I do think that there's time for positivity and time for self-affirmation. I think that there's people that accomplish a lot of things and every accomplishment should be rewarded with joy, um, you know, with self-love. But there's also times when you're not satisfied. And so I think people take those things that are meant to be momentary and turn them into kind of like lifelong practices. So after that section, you kind of move into like a really a more important part of the book. Um, what can I learn from this? Can you talk a little bit about that and how it may relate to everyday life? Yeah, I, I really believe that um, people are people tend to get into patterns and people tend to become passive in their own journeys, if you will. And um, when you talk about the idea of what can you learn from this instead of everything happens for a reason, you're kind of taking ownership of what it is that something means to you. Because I don't think that any of us knows if there is any true inherent purpose or meaning to our individual lives or to our lives in general. And I don't think there's any real way of knowing for sure. And so I think part of the beauty of the human mind and the human spirit is that we have the capacity to look around and decide things mean things and decide that things are important or not important and then decide how we interact with them. And I think every day when you think about the things that are happening to you, some of which that are happening because of actions you've taken and some because the world is weird and world, the world does stuff and you could be two hours late for a, uh, for a um, job interview because of a car accident on the highway that could happen. And that doesn't happen for a reason. And it may all, it may, you can either look at it as just an unfortunate event, which it is, or you can look at it as a way that you can kind of try to prevent another unfortunate event. You can't always prevent them all, but you can always learn from mistakes and you can also learn from um, coincidences. People tend to look at coincidences and shrug them off instead of just deciding like, oh, okay, this seems to be happening. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. I'm going to fill in the blank. I think it's really important for people to take ownership of their lives. Unfortunately, people don't like doing that because it also means they have to take ownership of the bad parts. 
I've heard some recent podcasts lately, um, let's say that someone is, quote, successful, that, and they kind of talk about their past almost negatively, but obviously they needed that, you know, 10 years of grinding away and almost like self-loathing to get to where they are. You have a similar quote like that from musician uh, Matt Nathanson in the book. Do you think that self-loathing or whatever you want to call it is just part of the process to really get somewhere to that next level? Uh, I have two answers there, because that's a really good question. Uh, the first answer is I absolutely do. I do think that these feelings and these uh, using of negative emotion, if you come to a place where you're successful, and, and like you said, you know, with so-called successful, successful just means whatever it means to you. It just means you're having the things that you want, whatever it is you're interested in. It really could be anything. You know, it could be being a good brother. That can be a, a point of success for somebody. That said, I do believe that you do need to kind of go through these moments of self-doubt, uh, self-loathing in order to work hard enough to become, to ask yourself the right questions so that you can then become as good as you possibly can be. Uh, but, but it's really important. This is part two. It's really important to not think of it that way when you're doing it, because when you think of it that way, you treat it kind of as a, uh, as a, a a step on your eventual positive uh, growth. Whereas you're only going to have the success, in my opinion, if you really believe you might not. If you, it's the belief. If you really think that like the, the pain and torment of failure is just part of success, you won't feel it enough. You won't properly uh, internalize that, that rage and frustration in a way that will allow you to work hard enough to fix it. So the answer is yes, but try not to think about it. Um, can you talk a little bit? I think after that section, I really liked the part you mentioned about aiming high. I've heard other people, maybe this is the same thing. They talk about like failing upward. Is that kind of similar? How do you, how do you view aiming high uh, with your ambitions? Well, I really, you know, unfortunately, most of us are not going to get most of the things we want in life. And if we're really lucky, we'll get some of them. And if you acknowledge that and you believe that and you stop believing the myth that we can all have everything we want, because if you aim at mediocrity and you succeed, you're really going to be fine. But if you aim at the highest possible mountain one could climb and you get there, it's going to be a much more worthwhile journey. And the truth is, is that most people I've found when they aim really, 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 really high, they end up arriving at mediocrity really quickly and then continue to work that goes into trying for the hardest possible thing ends up being useful in so many ways along the road. And the truth is, is that I don't think a lot of us know what we want. I think a lot of us are, con like you say, falling upward. I think we're falling everywhere, sideways constantly. You know, you know, wake up one day, you're doing something and you don't know how you even got there. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to speak for you, but you have a podcast. And when you were a child, those didn't exist. Right. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much nothing I do, like when I was in high school, none of the jobs that I've done even existed. And that was, you know, 10 years ago. So, right. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? And now, so, but you were, but you were aiming for something really exciting for you and really kind of probably a little bit harder than you thought you could really get. And now you're doing things that you like, I assume. Maybe you hate doing this. I assume you like it because uh, it sounds fun to me. But, but what you're in, but it's not a result of aiming for the lowest end of things. You, you learned a lot on the struggle upwards. What do you kind of, do you have a message for those people who are 
uh, playing it safe. Like I just turned 30 and I got to the point where I realized where everything's hard. If I want to go and work my way up in some normal corporate job, it's just as hard as going to do freelance or whatever that I kind of did do. Do you have a message for those people who are like second guessing what they're doing already? I do. I would say um, life is long because it just seems to go on forever, but life could be ended at any moment and you never know when the day is your last day. And this isn't like one of those, like, Oh man, like live as live these days. If it's your last, you know, I don't believe in that, but decide something that makes you uh, interested and passionate, go after your desires and just go really, really hard at them because there's nothing to lose because in 60 years we'll all be dead. I honestly like it's just try your hardest at things you really want and don't give a shit. If people tell you that you can't get them as a matter of fact, prove them wrong, spend your entire life proving other people wrong and you'll accidentally make yourself happy. Um, towards the end of the book, there's a section uh, about anxiety. We talk about how John Cryer from two and a half men, he used his anxiety to become a better actor um, how can people with more regular jobs use their current, uh, let's say, negative traits to kind of improve their circumstances? That's a really good question and something that I feel has been asked a lot because most people are more regular, as you say. But uh, every job has, uh, I've I found for the most part, every job has a hierarchy, even if it's a, a small business that you own, even if it's your own thing. You have a hierarchy within the realm of the, of the place you live and work. And you have a hierarchy within the other small businesses around you, or if you work in a bank, you work in the post office, there's always the next step. There's always the next level. And if you know what you want and you try to figure out how to get it, I've generally found that people have a way of getting outside the usual kind of steps that take to get up. I mean, you walk into a, uh, any place once in a while and you see somebody who's you know 25 years old and they're the bank manager, and you don't know why. Well, there's got to be a reason. There's got to be a reason. That person somehow found a way above it. You know, actually, when I was in when I was in high school, I worked in a video store in West LA. Those don't exist anymore either, actually. And I worked in a video store, and it only took me about six months to become uh, the assistant manager of a Hollywood video. And it wasn't because of anything other than I just try really, really, really hard. I collected those late fees. I alphabetized really quickly. I really gave a shit. And I really liked that job because I was competitive with my peers. Uh, they were all older than me and it made me feel inferior and insecure. They all seemed to have like cool lives. And I was like the nerdy guy who just wanted to watch movies. And I think that that's a thing that really helped me excel there. And that's no different than anything else in life. I really think that, you know, but, but here's the thing is it's not just about careers. It's about just how you approach your world, you know, like how you approach the people that are around you, how you approach friends and family and how you want to be treated by them and how you help them understand the kind of person you are and the kind of life you want and actually valuing your time. Uh, it all ties together. Um, so the book is called You're Not That Great. Towards the end, it kind of seems like one of the goals is just to be, quote, less not great. Um, do, do you kind of see that as the end of this book? Do you see this as a series or do you have, have plans for like a, a, the next level after a reader kind of acknowledges the, the first things you have in this first book? I do think uh, there is a space for the next version of this. I, 
I want to give it some time. Uh, I've gotten really amazing reader feedback in that most people have told me something along the lines of, man, this thing started off really depressing. And then I was like, oh, oh, okay, I kind of see it. I can feel some of that. Some of that really gets to me. And then usually towards the end where I start talking about my personal experience of those things, people have some kind of relevant experience that they feel vulnerable and open about. And then at the end, they go, okay, wait a second. Maybe this wasn't depressing. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I'm able to. So I do think there's this next step where it's uh, your ambitions. Uh, once you acknowledge that you're not great, once you acknowledge that you're not special and the world is not planning anything for you, there is this next step where you can uh, get shit done. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm curious to see what, what the next iteration will be. But honestly, I'm basing it a lot on reader feedback. Like that's, I, you know, I hadn't really thought about what the next one would be. But that I think what you're hitting on is exactly right. Like, what do you do with this now? What's the step-by-step guide to improving the garbage world we live in? And, and you've got a lot, a lot of your career revolves around marketing and feedback. How do you kind of relate that into your writing? Do you kind of um, have people read your books first and give you feedback? And how did you equate that into this book? Uh, yeah, I, um, I gave the book initially, uh, when I first wrote the first draft, I gave it to three people. Um, and they were all very, very, very different, uh, different religions, different backgrounds. And I just got some feedback and, uh, that really helped me. Uh, it didn't necessarily make me make a tremendous amount of changes, uh, to be honest, because I, uh, this is a passion project for me. You know what I mean? Like, uh, this really is, the thing I feel most strongly about as a human on this planet at the moment. Uh, and for the last four or five years, it's all I've been thinking about is how I really think that people have so much more capacity than they allow themselves to express. Um, so I, I did take in a lot of feedback, but also Twitter has allowed me to have an endless stream of feedback to every thing I write and all of my thoughts for the last 10 years or so. I know it sounds weird, but uh, I really think I developed a lot of my voice in how to communicate with strangers by using social media. Because people right away tell you if they agree or if they don't agree and finding ways to get people to see out, you know, without subtlety to see a point you're trying to make in this kind of limited string of characters. It really helped me, I think, become a more concise writer, which is also why the book is 192 pages instead of 300. It's just, I, I don't want to waste your time. As you can hear on the phone, I ramble kind of constantly. Um, but I've, <laughs> I haven't had enough feedback there. But on Twitter, I've had lots of people telling me to go ahead myself. And so I learned from those. It definitely, I, mean, I could see that helping a lot with making it personal too. Like, like most people, especially if, if you know you want to be a writer at a young age, you go to school and they teach you this academic form that honestly doesn't matter after you graduate you kind of almost have to did you kind of write this book with someone in mind like was it written for yourself was it written with someone you were thinking about that's such a good question and no one's asked me that um i think i probably wrote it mostly for myself um because i think that these are things that i believe but like with any advice it's really easy to say it to someone else and really hard to take it yourself. 
and I'm totally imperfect and I fall victim to these traps myself too. And I'll be driving down Sunset Boulevard with the top down, feeling this sense of hubris. And I'll like see like, okay, sucker, you're just, you're really not special. Take it down a notch. Um, and I always believed that when you say something out loud or when you put something in writing and it becomes tangible, you gain some responsibility for it in a way that like whirling thoughts in your head don't. And so I think that the process of writing this was a way for me to reaffirm a lot of the things I, I and along the way, there were a lot of sentences I was wrong about this. And then I deleted them. <laughs> There's a lot of moments that I had to check myself writing this book. I had to the whole time, you know, I'm speaking to the reader, but I'm speaking to myself. Like I am reminding myself of my own mortality. I'm reminding myself of my lack of inherent specialness. I'm just a bag of meat with bones in it. And I, it's, it's, you have to keep that in mind all the time. Do you do anything? I'm going to forget who this is. There's some like Silicon Valley person who keeps a uh, clock on his desk that supposedly counts down how many estimated days he has left in his life. Do you do anything kind of that crazy or have anything that you relate to just to kind of keep, you know, as far as like day-to-day thinking, do you do anything like that? Okay, so here's the thing. Um, when I was growing up, and I can't explain why, I think it's because uh, one of the first memories I have is I was told that I was, my middle name is Adam, and my grandmother's name was Eve, Evelyn. And I was named after her because, middle name, because I, I was born only a few weeks after she died. So I had this really kind of early memory of the concept of death. And as a child, I was totally and completely fascinated and terrified by death to a point where like I was that kid at three years old who would run into my parents' room screaming at night. And they thought it was maybe like a monster, but it was actually that I was just aware of the fact that I was going to die eventually. And I didn't want that. And somehow that became kind of a, a thing. So I don't need a doomsday clock. I think about it 1,000 times a day. I, I'm, it's horrible. It's the one thing that kind of bothers me. But like all of every day, I'm thinking about the fact that like, what will this day be mean to me if I die? And it doesn't like help me. It's actually quite annoying. In ter- beyond that, though, um, I mean, you're in a pretty tough business, but you're at a successful level with that. I'm sure you've been through lots and lots of rejection. As far as the average person, do you have advice for them to kind of go put themselves in those uncomfortable situations and and figure out a way to do that, to keep kind of progressing and seeing those failures and chances to move forward? I mean, absolutely. And I can speak to the entertainment as something, which is a good example to have another job while you're starting out some kind of uh, way of, of taking care of yourself because it can be really brutal. But I think all kind of artistic and creative endeavors, and I mean including something like starting a business, which is a creative endeavor. <laughs> it's a you have to create a world um, as you're doing those things. Uh, I think that the idea is you simply have to decide that leisure time isn't for you for a while, because you know most of us work eight to ten hours a day, five days a week, sometimes a lot more. But there are, you know, eight hours for sleeping, and then there's still six to eight hours for something. And if you're passionate about something, those six to eight hours can be the ones that, that really are the most important ones in your life. 
uh, can be spent kind of dipping your toes into other worlds and trying to figure out what you can do differently. I think one of your most hated quotes in the book would be the when you talk about everything happens for a reason. After I read the book, it reminded me of this quote from, I think it was Denzel Washington said during an acceptance speech, ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship, which obviously means just kind of go through the pain. Um, do you kind of see this book or your lessons here as a as a lessons on balance overall? Yes, I think that in essence is uh, is the is the idea. It's not so much that one should embrace the negativity, the downside, and the darkness of everything. It's simply that you have to find that balance because uh, the the self help genre around you will always tell you to feel good. And the truth is, you need a little bit of both. No one's a hundred percent right. Uh, we're all somewhere in the middle and you do have to find that balance. It, it's, you know, take your moments, enjoy the thing, but also recognize when things aren't good and change them. There's a really good quote in the back. I don't want to give too much away because it's a really great finale to the book, but it's, uh, it's basically Alec Baldwin. One of the quotes he's kind of realizing when he was past the underdog phase, have you got to that? Or is it just always like a new level that you're trying to achieve next? Oh, you know, I don't ever be too satisfied. Um, I definitely don't. I definitely, definitely do not feel past the underdog stage. Um, I definitely don't feel like I've accomplished one tenth of what I what I want to accomplish professionally or personally. Um, uh, and that may be crazy. I may be aiming way too high, and and maybe I should just be really grateful for the things I have. And in some ways, I am but I also want significantly more. And I hope kind of that one day, maybe 20 or 30 years from now, I feel like, oh, okay, I did this thing pretty well. I can relax because it's not gonna get any better than this. But I, uh, I don't know if I have that personality. Uh, we'll see. Some people aren't meant to be happy. Um, that's okay. I'm, I, don't, I don't think I'm meant to be happy. That's okay. I can't see really. I mean, I'm still, I mean, I'm younger, I guess you'd say, but it's, it's, I feel like I just metabolize whatever level of success is next. And I just want the next thing after that, you know? Well, I think that, I think that is from, you know, from my conversations over the last couple of years, everybody who's in the kind of businesses that you and I are in is that way. You know, like you, you always set these goals for yourself. And then the minute you achieve them, you think about how much more you could have gotten. Like you may have a, an hour, an hour of kind of a self congratulations. And then you think about the next thing and it's not that fun. It's not as fun as you thought it would be, especially when you realize that your goals are kind of trivial to you. Um, but it's also the reason why you keep doing better. It's also the reason why there, because if you think about it, the reason you cannot enjoy achieving your goals is because you're achieving your goals. It's really fucked up, but it's the reality of things. <laughs> So I, so I would say that's good to hear. And that makes me, uh, as a total stranger, feel like you're going to have a great future because you're not satisfied at all. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, 
you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.